Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks. Again. Hey, we're teaching out of Matthew today, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, I joined Justin in making you welcome. I hope that you have felt welcome. And I'm going to be speaking specifically out of chapter 2 this morning. To finish up, although this message itself will be a standalone sermon, my hope is to finish up the series that we've been in, How Will We Know It's Him? That's the question we've been asking for the last three weeks, counting this one. How will we know it's Him? This is a good question. The whole entire Old Testament, as we've declared, declares who Jesus would be. There's two purposes in the Old Testament. Declare who Jesus is and God's plan through him for our redemption. And we learned over the last two weeks that according to Psalm 72, he is king. That he's the righteous king and that there's nothing he's ever done that is unrighteous, incapable of unrighteousness that he is the king of kings and commoners, that he is the king of peace, and he's the king that desires to do good for his people. Amen? But not just king, but servant. According to Isaiah 53, he was the greatest of servants, born as a servant in a servant's position for a servant's purpose. Matter of fact, Jesus himself said, I came to serve, not to be served. Because all of us would still be in a position to where we were lost, completely separated from Him, with no hope of an eternal salvation, no hope of spending eternity with Him, had Jesus Christ not been both of these things. King, capable of overcoming darkness, servant, willing to die so that we too could overcome darkness. This is the truth that we've declared. And so there's a scarlet thread, as I've discussed in the last two weeks, that runs through the Old Testament. Every shadow, every type, everything you read in the Scripture declares two things. That God had a plan for us, and that plan of redemption is found in Christ alone. And so the question, how will we know it's Him when He shows up, when He is finally born, how will they know it's him? They simply had to look back at the Old Testament, the prophets, and what the prophets had to say about him, what the poets had to say about him, what history had to say about him, what the types and the shadows had to say about him, to see, to see that all of those things are found in Christ Jesus. Everything that they had ever hoped for was found in Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Emmanuel, God amongst us. And that's the message I want us to know today is that everything we've been looking for, everything for our good and our betterment isn't found in the things that we give one another. It isn't found in the joy of this life. It's found in an understanding that this life will end physically, but it will never end spiritually. And we will all end up in an eternity with God because he loved us enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to us, as I've already stated, while we were still sinners. That's the beauty of Christmas. 
Man, I appreciate the presents. I like presents. I got a gun saved for Christmas. But you know what I got because of Christmas? A security. We all love this stuff. But what did Jesus bring us? He brought us a king and a servant. And I want to talk to you about that today out of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm not sure how long this sermon will be, but I'm going to do my best to keep you or to not keep you past three. So, <laughs> if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. <coughs> Gathered together all the chief of priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem, for this is what was been written by the prophets. So even the people that Herod had surrounded himself with understood that if you want to know who Jesus is or who he would be when he showed up, Read the Old Testament because he quotes Micah chapter 5, 2 through 4 loosely here. He says, And you, brethren, land of Judah, are no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of, all, out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Amen. So, let's talk about this. We serve a king. We serve a servant, the greatest of servants. As much as I want to talk about that today, and we will, there's something greater this Christmas I want us to grab a hold of, and that is our responsibility to that. If all I ever do is tell you God is this, God is this, God is this, God is this, without telling you that because God is this, this is the expectation of you, then I have failed to equip you properly. We have an expectation. God has an expectation of us. He desires something from us. He deserves something from us because of who He is. Amen? And so we see in this story, and it's the reason why I believe I'm supposed to teach from this story what that responsibility looks like. 
Let me set some context for you first. The Magi weren't there the day that Jesus was born. I know that immediately probably blows some of y'all's mind. But the very first words in chapter 2 say this. Then after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. So we know it didn't happen the day that he was born. We also know that it's likely happened quite some time after because King Herod, according to the timeline given to him by the Magi, ordered, killed every child two years or younger. If it was the night he was born, why would he be killing two-year-olds? I just want us to understand that our traditions don't dictate who God is. Oftentimes, in order for us to truly grab a hold of the magnificent things that God is trying to do around us, we have to take a golden calf around us and smash it to pieces. Our traditions mire us down to keep us from seeing the truth of what's happening around us. Amen? And so this small little thing, but so here they are. They come into Jerusalem. They have a conversation with Herod. Herod says he wants to worship, doesn't want to worship, because he doesn't, he's not concerned with what God can give him, but what God might take from him. And whenever we're more concerned about what God may take from us than what God's willing to give us, we're always going to deny who God is. And so he's, he says, I'm, I want to worship him too. And in fact, of course, he didn't want to worship him. He just wanted to get his hands on him so that this threat to his kingship might be done away with. They finally get to Bethlehem, and this is what happens. In verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. If we are to be who we are to be, we have to be a people who rejoice. They rejoiced when they knew they had come, he had come. Joy was their initial response. I want you to think of something. Imagine having studied the way that these men would have studied. They weren't pagans. They weren't wizards. They weren't warlocks. They were astrologers or astronomers. They were people who understood science of the day and were good at it. So much so that they, when no one else did, recognized that it was time for Jesus to come. These were educated men. And when they realized that through the study of the Old Testament that Jesus had come, their initial response was joy. This should be ours too. Imagine having heard nothing from God for 400 years. Just so you know, between the Old Testament and New Testament, God didn't say a word to his people. So for 400 years, there was absolute silence from God. 400 years. Longer than this country has existed, God hadn't spoken to anyone. It's almost like he says, I'm going to give you all this information about who he is. I'm going to give you the entire Old Testament, all the prophets, the law, everything, so that you'll be able to spend 400 years studying who he is so that when I throw back the curtains and shine the spotlight on him, you'll say, this must be the guy. But in fact, they still missed it. Except these few people who were paying attention. I'm telling it's time that we start paying attention. Because we should be people of joy because our king, our servant king, came to earth over 2,000 years ago to save us. And that is so good. Right? And so here they are, joyful. 
which is in fact how we should respond to such a thing. Psalmist says in 96, 11 and 2, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that it contains. Let the field exult, which means joyously praise, and all this in it. Then all the trees in the forest will sing for joy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step back into this verse just for a second. And listen, it says the heavens will be glad, the earth will rejoice, the sea will roar, everything within the sea will roar, the field itself will exult, celebrate joyously, and everything that is in the field will do the same. It's time the people of God do the same. We have the greatest revelation ever given to man. And we walk around unjoyfully. We walk around with our head down and our eyes closed, unaware of what's happening around us, as though it never actually happened. It's time for this to stop. Every person that belongs to God should be a person of joy. Not when it's convenient for us. Not when life is going well for us. Not when everything makes sense, but at all times. Because at all times, Christ is Amen? Some of y'all looking at me like a cow staring at a new gate. Why did they sing in joy? Because they weren't going to be shouted down by creation. Jesus said, don't let them, don't, if they stop worshiping, the rocks will cry out. Are we going to be shouted down by creation? We shouldn't be. We should be people of joy, wanting to exult highly, to praise, to lift up, to glorify the name of Jesus because Jesus came that we might have life eternal. We should be people of joy. But it's so easy in today's world to say, but you don't know what I'm going through. I don't know what you're going through. Can I be quite honest with you? In regard to how you worship, I don't care what you're going through. Because your worship is still a priority. Your joy is still a priority. God's expectation of you should still be that you fill your mouth with joy. Right, D.W.? My life ain't easy, but I serve a good God. Your life ain't easy, but Jesus came to save you. Be people of joy. Be people of joy. Why? Because Jesus came to save the world, not judge it. If I don't celebrate anything else, I celebrate this, that I was judged, destined to hell already for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. No good in me, not one single thing good in me, deserving of death, both by sin and by action, both by birth and by action. But Jesus was sent by God to redeem me, to redeem us, so that the judgment we were sitting under, we would no longer be sitting under. And that should make us happy. That should have every room full of people jumping up and down, acting crazy. Now, I'm not talking about being Pentecostally crazy, but ain't nothing wrong with Pentecostally crazy either. 
I'm saying every church of Christ, every Baptist church, every full gospel church should be celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ was born a Savior so that we might have a Savior. And I'm, I'm just trying to show you, be people of joy. Don't let your circumstance get you. God sees you, loves you, takes care of you, desires to be in relationship with you. That should cause us to be joyful. He hasn't forgotten you. He knows the number of the hairs on your head. He knows you by your, by your name and cares enough about you that he sent his son Jesus to earth to humble himself even to death upon a cross. That should bring us joy. But not just joy, we're called to worship. In verse 11, it says, In coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Their worship began in reverence. I'm going to say something. This may be a little offensive to some of y'all. But you're, most of y'all are used to it by now. Their worship began in reverence, which means their worship began before they showed up and saw Jesus. If you're coming to church preparing your heart to worship, you're too late. You need to be at your house preparing your heart for worship. You need to be going to bed preparing your heart for worship. This should be an external show of the worship you live your life in all the time. This is the time when the fellowship get together to worship. This shouldn't be your time to worship. You can't worship God in 15 minutes a week and expect that he's going to get the worship that he deserves. They had an understanding of what worship meant before they showed up. It's why they showed up. They knew because of what they had seen, what they had studied, what they, what they had learned, that God was amongst us. And in their reverence, worshiped. Let us be people of reverence. We walk into the house of God acting all willy-nilly like it doesn't matter what the condition of my heart is when I walk in here. Let me tell you, it matters wholeheartedly what the condition of your heart is when you walk in here. I would never enter the, I would never even consider entering an earthly king's presence without reverence, much less the king of the universe. The king of the universe deserves more than we deserve. So we have to be people of reverence. They were people of reverence. It says they fell to the ground, which means they got off their feet and onto their face. and expressed deeply their honor and praise. Revelation, and, and rightfully so, this is what the Revelation says about Jesus. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our reverence. He deserves it. But reverence is more than that. It's where self-awareness becomes self-effacement, which means humility 
is necessary in worship. You ain't all that. I can't worship God if I think some kind of way that who I am qualifies me to be in his presence. Because the absolute opposite is true. Who he is qualifies me to be in his presence. It's impossible for the humble or the arrogant to please God. It says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. So they worshipped him, but they worshipped him in reverence. They understood that he was greater, that he was bigger, that he was more magnificent. This song that we sang, Mother Mary, Did You Know? I believe she knew. God told her. But I also believe she didn't know. Because her mind's still finite. No human mind can grasp the vastness of who God is. If God got showed up and said, this is going to happen, you're still going to wonder, when is it going to happen? What's it going to look like? How magnificent, how beautiful is he? And we should, in our reverential place, ask those questions. One of the most reverential things I think a Christian can do is according to the word, now you can get crazy, but according to the word, allow your imagination to wonder about how big your God is. Because that's going to create awe in you. And awe in you will always be worshipful. When I think that God just decided to speak everything into existence, when I learn or read that God had a plan for me. When I read that God is a strong tower, a provider, peace, that he is comfort, that he is all of the things that he is, even if I understand the technical definition of such things, I can't grab a hold of how wonderful they are coming from the heart of God. These things deserve our reverence, our worship, and our meditation. Amen? Got me a digital amen up in here. <laughs> and reverence, as we see here, is where joy and fear come together. The church has forgotten how to be fearful. We've forgotten how to be holy. Jesus came that we might be holy. When we see him as the Magi saw him, recognizing that he's as real today as he was 2,000 years ago. Because of all that he is, because of his power, because of his majesty, because of his beauty, it should cause us to sit back on our heels or perhaps even fall to our face in fear of who he is. And declare with everything we are, God, whatever it is that's in me that shouldn't be in me, cut it out of me that I might be holy. The church has to get back to a place of holiness because God is holy. He says it. I am holy. Be holy. Oh, man, this ain't like no making me feel good Christmas service like I'm used to. Well, you, don't, you may not normally go to church here. <laughs> 
This is kind of what y'all get every Sunday because it's important. Because the God, I cut past all the words, the creator God of the universe was born unto a child so that we could have the hope of eternal life. And that should cause us to worship. That should cause us to be in awe. That should cause us to fear who he is and to celebrate him. Amen? And in our celebration, as in their celebration, they gave gifts. The Bible says that they, they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold to the king that he is. Frankincense for worship for the God that he is. And myrrh for the sacrifice he'd give. Myrrh, if you didn't know, is what they would put on bodies as they passed to help ebb some of the smell. It was also used as a perfume, but it was it was used in the burial process. You know, about these are the things that these were other out of their pocket gifts. These are the gifts that required finance from them. But God requires so much more of us. I think we should prove ourselves in God's faithfulness in our giving, our financial giving. But let me tell you, they gave something greater than their finance. They gave their time. These wise men would have been from the Medes, which means that they would have been from Babylonia or from Babylon. They would have been part of the remnant that would have heard about God in the days of Daniel. And that's how they began to study. That's why they were studying, because they were part of the remnant that still believed in God from when Daniel was in Babylon. And so in their study, they realized this would happen, and when it happened, they went and saw it. But let me tell you something. Mary and Joseph didn't live next door to them. They didn't walk across the street to see them. The estimate, if they were on camel, is two to three weeks there, two to three weeks back. Unless they were on foot, then you can double that. Unless they navigated by star, which is likely, then you could have almost doubled that. So up to three or four months there, three or four months back, they gave of their time. You know why? Because God was worthy of their time. Because they understood awe. They understood reverence. They understood the need to worship when the king showed up. They had been preparing and planning and studying to meet him their whole life. And when he, they finally got to, they thought, this time isn't mine anyway. I'm giving it away as an offering before the Lord. It is good. But it's also very sad. Because the same people, not specifically those people, but the people that God came to save oftentimes won't get out of the comfort of our own bed on Sunday. Or will go to a football game instead of going to worship. 
or chase after the desires of their children over the desires of their God and Savior. Can we at least give the time that God gave to us in the first place? Our time here is finite. Let's use it to glorify Him, to honor Him, to praise Him. But they didn't just give financially. They didn't just give of their time. They gave of their talent. I told you a moment ago that these weren't mystics. These weren't magicians or wizards. They were scientists. That's what they were gifted to do. And God placed a gift in them, and they used that gift to magnify and glorify the name of Jesus, which is our responsibility too. So whether it be money, whether it be time, whether it be talent, our responsibility today is the same as their responsibility over 2,000 years ago to pour it out at the feet of the Christ and say, we're not worthy of it. Whatever I have is yours and you're welcome to it. Is that going to cost you? Yes, and it should. You know why? Because it cost him to give it to you. He's good and deserves our worship, our joy, our praise, our offering. He deserves all of these things. But there's something greater. They, in verse 12, after having come into the house, fall to the ground and worship, giving him treasures and gifts. Verse 12 says, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, let me keep this in context. <clears throat> they knew Herod was sketchy. They knew Herod didn't intend to worship him at all but destroy him. But let's talk about the principle of the text. They met the Christ child and left a different way. Every time we meet the Christ child, we should leave a different way. How can you walk into the presence of the holy and not be holy? How can you walk into the presence of the joyful and not be joyous? There's a thing in law enforcement called the law enforcement investigation called the theory of transference. And the theory of transference says this, if anything, two things rub together, one thing should leave a piece of itself on the other thing. We don't spend enough time in the presence of God to transfer anything from him to us. But we should. And every time we rub up against him, there should be more of him on us and more of him on us and more of him on us until ultimately we are Christ-like. Because to call ourselves a Christian, we must walk as Christ walked. And why shouldn't we? If you've given your life to the Lord, be different. I can't tell you how frustrating it is to me 
you get, many of you have heard me say this before, for people to say, I'm a Christian, and then not live like a Christian. Did you know when you tell somebody you're a Christian, they're going to believe you? It's instinctual to them to believe you. And then when you act something other than a Christian, they think that must be what Jesus looks like. That's not what he transferred on you. Be different. But if you haven't been in the presence of the Christ child, if you haven't been in the presence of God, let me tell you the truth. This Christmas isn't about your presence. It's about his presence. E-N-C-E. This Christmas is the beginning of our redemption story. That Christ came that he lived a perfect life as an example to us. That he died perfectly sinless for the sinful so that we might be the righteousness of God through him. That he was buried for three days and resurrected so that we too could have the hope of an eternal life and now sits at the right hand of the Father, make an intercession for us so that even when we do the things we ought not do, we might be fully redeemed. And that's beautiful. That's worth celebrating. So I don't know where you are, but I know the, the gospel is the power unto salvation. And I know that gospel has been declared here today, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but Jesus Christ was sent on our behalf. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that we must declare with our mouth, believing in our heart, that God raised him from the dead and we shall be saved. Seems pretty simple, man. Except it's so profoundly significant.